0: for our second hour round table on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America.
1: And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I hope you just love that interview. We just stay with um, Catherine Kirsten from the um, Center of the American Experiment in Minnesota. And, you know, I had a couple of thoughts. I mean, we could talk about that the whole rest of this hour, but there's so many other stories. This is why I want to talk two hours a day on radio to you, because there's so much going on. And I always tie everything back and think about the preserving America for, you know, the next 100, 200, 500 years. She mentioned, you know, this just one generation of students lost. Just imagine if... Your kids and every all kids went to public schools where they're basically told from day one there is white privilege, there is white supremacy in the society. You are your uh, and much of what she was uh, didn't get get to, but a lot of conversation about white guilt and trying to a- encourage students to embrace a notion um, that they are somehow responsible um, for uh, American history, which they're not responsible for. But, you know, there, I was thinking as, as a consequence of all that. So you leave high school, and instead of the the trip to Fort Snelling, Minnesota, where you've learned about westward expansion and who came there, whatever they did, you learnt, you took away, the lesson you took away was America's a horrible place, and they mistreated this group of uh, Indians and um, and didn't learn anything positive about America. Because this is just one example. He died in Minnesota. But the curricula in many public schools in this country, and you, I'm sure you've read the stories yourselves, you see... Students finish high school and they don't really know um, very much about George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, or John Adams, the founders, except maybe that they were racist old white men. They don't know about the the just glorious ideas they they embraced and the um, profound importance of their place in all world history in creating a country founded on such fabulous ideas and basically the noble experiment in freedom that America is they don't know that but they know every single detail of the civil rights marches i'm not saying that you don't you don't teach you have to teach try to teach everything but kids leave high school with a picture of america that is so dark so negative so condemning how likely are those people for example to be able to and be willing to defend America in in the way we needed to do after World War in World War Two, just think about it, World War Two times. Everyone had culturally some understanding. This is a pretty darn wonderful country, America. Not perfect, but wonderful, and we want to defend it. What possible reason would a young person who's been had a picture of America painted to them in public school of being just America's evil and awful and racist and terrible and a terrible history? Um, what motivation would they have to put their lives on the line to protect America? And even, that's militarily is one question. The other question is, Is in your cultural conversation, you know, you, you, you've left high school with a picture that our country consists of competing hyphenated groups that are endlessly uh, mistreating each other and that there's an assumption of racism under every rock. How do you go out and function, letting aside the fact that you never learned the math and English and biology and all that stuff in these kind of schools But you didn't learn the love of America and the basic respect for the goodness of the American people and the basic assumption that America is a good and noble country. You don't leave school expecting to find that. And so you don't get into that mindset moving forward in your life. You're in the mindset of, you know, uh, suspicion and distrust. And, you know, uh, Catherine Kirsten made reference to it, but I want to drive this point home again. This is not an accidental agenda. This is not something that just happened to have certain people who went ahead and uh, wormed their way into the Adana public school system. This is a very deliberate left-wing destruction of the love of America, the respect for America, the notion of America's inherent goodness and the goodness of the people. None of that means America is perfect. None of that means there aren't things to fix, but you don't have that love of America um, in your heart when you leave school. And this is exactly what, the left wing of America, counts on. This is where political power comes on the Democrat side in this country, at least in the far left Democrat side, which is they need people feeling angry, alienated, frustrated, feeling like victims, and the Democrat Party sweeps in and says, you're right, we have... Finally, convince you you're a victim of your fellow citizens. No one around you would ever care about you. But vote with us, and we'll fix it. We'll make America right. We'll take we'll take care of you. The in- the Democrat voting base is largely the victim mentality. Unite is victims united, and even when they describe a big election cycles, describe what their issues are, who their voters are. It's everything is a hyphenated group because hyphenation, by definition, means division. And everyone falls in their little silo, their little camp. And this is the Democrat Party's uh, modus operandi, is to have everyone feeling that way. So this stuff we're talking about in the Edina schools, even going back to the first segment tonight about the Pledge of Allegiance, knocking American history, knocking the, the a unifying idea of the Pledge of Allegiance and having a flag and a, and a national anthem that America you know, embraces as a culturally unifying thing. This is being destroyed by leftist thought in this country. It's not a minor thing that they're attacking the the, um, national anthem or they're attacking the Pledge of Allegiance or that they're instilling this this, uh, suspicion of fellow Americans very detrimental to the culture of liberty and the future of America's harmony as a country. Okay, we're going to zip off to a break here. I have another great guest coming up, Jude Eden. We're going to talk about whether or not Bo Bergdahl's sentence, the deserter uh, who was... uh, Sentenced to basically nothing whether it was too light don't go away
2: could you lose your career because of your faith could your pastor be sued because of his sermons can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit firstliberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now.
1: If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiades. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org.
2: America faces unprecedented threats to our national security.
1: And welcome back to America. Can we talk? As I mentioned before our break, we have a guest joining us tonight. She's actually been on the show at least one other time in the past. Jude Eden, and she actually served in the Marines. She's a woman who served in the Marines from 2004 to 2008, and uh, she deployed for eight months during 2005, 2006 to support Camp Fallujah's communications network. And she was assigned entry checkpoint duty, working with the Marine Infantry, frisking women for explosives on Fallujah's outskirts. So she's walked the walk and hasn't just talked the talk. She served in the Marines, and um, so I was really curious to get your reaction, um, Jude, as our listeners know, Bo Bergdahl, the um, the young man who deserted his post in June of 2009, walked off was in custody, or captured by the Taliban, apparently was tortured, and he was in, uh, President Obama chose to trade some Taliban prisoners we had to bring Bo Bergdahl home. And I mean, there's been a lot of conversation. I'm not gonna run through all the details, but just what's your overall reaction, Jude, if you would, uh, to the sentencing of Bo Bergdahl. He didn't get any time, he got a penalty and he got a dishonorable discharge and reducing his rank. But overall, was that was that fair of the judge to do, or what was your reaction to that?
4: Uh, like many veterans, uh, i was I was appalled. Uh, thanks by the way, for having me on your show. I just, um, you know, I, it's it's tantamount to being getting off scot free because although you know it may seem that there's a mitigating factor of the fact that he was held prisoner. Uh, for those five years and tortured, and of course that's awful. However, he did abandon his post. He did it deliberately. I don't buy any of the excuses that he made uh, later. Um, and actually, I fault the army for this whole um, snafu because he's crazy. and the co- he'd washed out of the Coast Guard uh, before he joined the army. And uh, and that was for mental health reasons and, and some other stuff. And a, psychi- a psychiatrist had said uh, he should get a full evaluation before he's allowed to serve in uniform. Well, the army completely ignored that. So when he enlisted for the army, he already had problems. The army ignored those in order to get him, and that's Obama's, uh, you know, actually that he probably I th- if he was deployed in 2009, he probably had to enlist. In about 2008 or earlier, I'm not sure when he started his service, Um, but I believe he he enlisted under Bush. So things were already getting bad due to you know Bush's mismanagement of the military. Bad ROEs started with Bush and worsened with Obama. Uh, But I think that this sentence really sets a bad precedence because uh, to serve no jail time, a slap on the wrist of $10,000, you know, I I think that just really what it says is that, you know, treason uh, and, and, you know, abandoning your post uh, can get you get your parents invited to the White House and you'll just get a slap on the wrist. Uh, now, now people might point to his his imprisonment, but I say you know, five years in Leavenworth uh, is probably a cakewalk compared to that, and uh, and he could certainly, he could certainly do that. I, I think it's a real shame, and I don't think justice was carried out here.
1: You know, I think you have the same reaction as as I had, and many people I know uh, who did serve in the military and those who have not served in the military. It just seemed like, I mean, even the him having been tortured by the Taliban, which you know is his testimony. We have no way of knowing if that's true. But even if it's all true, he ended up in the hands of the Taliban because he walked away from his post. I mean, he exactly. he got himself in that position. So I really I've heard people say, well, who are we to double, you know, to kind of, you know, Monday morning quarterback the judge? Who are we to say? But, you know, I, I do think that the other thing that just seems shocking about this case is that. There were soldiers, American troops, lost looking for him, and uh, and then others badly injured. Who just, I mean, this this young man's conduct it caused exactly the kind of problems that desertion could occur because could cause because when he walked off, no one knew what had happened. For all they knew, that he had been grabbed, he'd been kidnapped. So they were out That's there right. looking for him. Ends up losing other soldiers' lives, and that just seems like that was lost in this sentence.
4: Exactly. And that's exactly why it doesn't really matter that he was uh, held prisoner by them. Uh, That was by his own hand. Uh, I don't I don't buy any of his excuses. He says, I mean, I've I've read different things that he wrote that he, uh, you know, had some problem with with how things were handled on the base. Look, there's there's always somebody who feels that way. At some point or another, especially on deployment, that things aren't being handled the way they think they should. Well, uh, you know, that doesn't warrant what he did. I mean, it kind of it it support all of his actions support uh, the idea that he's not in his right mind because he says he had no idea, you know, it would cause such a big thing. Of course, you know, if you walk off your post. in a war zone. (laughs) Yeah, it's gonna create. And and this is the other thing is that, okay, we have six men who died. We have three that were critically injured. One who is who can't even he can't speak. He's in a wheelchair. Uh, That's that's Master Sergeant Mark Allen, uh, who was shot in the head and and had a traumatic brain injury. I mean, he should have forfeited his his entire earnings or whatever, you know, to, to this master sergeant for what he has gone through. Uh, But also besides the casualties is that all operations shifted their focus to getting him back. So all the preparation that went into the operations that were happening at that time were basically trashed because of what he did. So he didn't just, you know, cause, Cause the deaths of, of these men, which he did. Uh, he didn't just cause the injuries, which he did. He also caused the, the entire you know army in that place to in that area to shift their focus and to abandon their their operations in order to change them to finding him. I don't believe for a second that he didn't know they would, you know, come looking for him and that it would create a big deal. And I've I've read other parts that he, he has later said uh, in interviews that, uh, you know, he didn't think the army was taking it to the enemy enough and he was going to go oh, uh, show them, you know. He has delusions of, of grandeur. Uh, you know but the the sentence it's it's just a really bad precedent and I won't be surprised actually uh, if they if it you know I mean it's hard enough as it is is they're, they're always complaining that they don't have enough uh, able-bodied uh, men and women to to recruit you know they're starving for recruits but uh, you know I think this would be a real deterrent people who serve honorably Here's the thing that gets me we've got people who are languishing in prison now who were prosecuted for murder for doing their job in the combat zone
5: yep, and yep.
4: and here this guy gets a gets this gets this light sentence we have sergeant Derek miller who is who's army national guard from connecticut he's in prison a life sentence because he killed a suspicious they said he is premeditated murder for uh, killing a civilian. Well, he wasn't a civilian. He was an insurgent uh, who, you know, said he was an electrician, no tools, you know, no, nothing about his uh, uh, story, uh, uh, you know, rang true. And he apparently went for, for Sergeant Miller's weapon, and and that's when he was shot. Well, <laughs> Derek Miller is in prison today.
3: Clint you know, Laurence,
4: same similar thing. You know, first yep. lieutenant. He's he's making a split second second decision in a combat zone. He's languishing in prison now. I wish there was, just like the president can can pardon for certain things. I wish he could reverse this. You know, uh, uh, on this on this sentence because it just is such a bad precedent. Who mm-hmm. wants to join a military that that lets traitors get off scot free? And that jails people for doing their job, protecting the country in person, with their, you know, up front and in person.
1: That's such a great contrast, and Judy. The other thing, I, I, two things. One thing I thought what you were going to say was, and we only have like a minute left here, less than a minute. But I thought you were going to say you can imagine other people contemplating deserting, getting a little bit nervous or frightened, whatever the reasons are. And knowing by this, well, nothing really bad happens. I mean, you get arrested or something, but you, you're not really, I mean, you could you could tip the scales towards someone. Exactly. Yeah. And then the last thing is, doesn't the code of military conduct, and we literally have fewer than 30 seconds, doesn't the code of military conduct say, essentially, tell you in these conditions, I mean, it, it says you can't desert and it tells you how to conduct yourself. I mean, didn't he violate a lot of that by deserting?
4: absolutely oh of course and and multiple things i think what he pled guilty to was desertion and misbehavior before the enemy those are those but you could get life in prison for both of those under the ucm day
1: okay judy i'm gonna have to have you on again another time Eden, because this story matters so much thank you for calling in. we ran out of time thank you so much thank you come right back folks
0: The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. If there's
1: one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiadis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org.
6: The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today.
1: And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Jude Eden is so darn cool. I mean, this is a woman who actually served in the Marines. She actually served in Fallujah. She's helped testify in Congress when, or she testified in Congress to help them deal with and understand the issue when they were talking about having women in combat. And she's someone who's served uh, for four years, I think it was, and including in Fallujah. And she was just so... Uh, clear thinking and testified in Congress, of course you do not have women serving combat. Come on. She was really able to say women have a place in the military and it's not endangering their fellow troops by being in combat positions. She's very articulate. I love having her on. So uh, this is my usual struggle because I have only two hours and I have like 17 stories I want to talk with you about in my quest in the show, America Coming Talk is always on the quest to preserve the unique exceptional nature of America and I try to tie a lot of my topics um, in into that so um, you know I want to turn to the um, story of a um, this uh, book that came out this week um, and it and this relates to it was a an author who's actually I, I had a bit of a connection with um, but there is an author who wrote a book and is essentially a, a book where he extensively interviewed George H.W. Bush or George or Bush 41 and um, and then Bush 43, George W. Bush. And the author's name is Mark Updegrove. And the book is called The Last Republicans. And it's an extensive interview with both of these authors, both of these men, p- two presidents and. Just a lot came out about that, and I, I just, I want to spend some time talking about it. Now, I'm happy if you're listening in Phoenix or in Colorado Springs. I mean, what I'm saying matters everywhere, but in particularly in Dallas. You know, we have the Bush Library here. We have I have many friends who are friends with the Bushes. So these are tough things because there were some wonderful things about um, each present, they of each of these people. But I just want to start by saying. If you haven't seen this book, I I do not recommend purchasing it. In fact, I recommend affirmatively deciding not to purchase it because it is an attempt essentially to target President Donald Trump and to use as ammo the statements by uh, these two former Bush presidents. But let me back up before I get to what the Bush president said. I want to talk with you about the eight years under President Obama when George W. Bush followed the protocol, which is normally followed by ex-presidents, once they leave office, they step off the stage. They leave the newly elected president, the real president in the role of president, and they step back. But during So George W. Bush did not, during the Obama years, speak up, for example, when— President Obama. We, uh, by the way, t- today is the eighth anniversary of the Islamic um, attack at Fort Hood. The uh, s- psychiatrist who shot and killed numerous people at Fort Hood. Um, in fact, he killed eight people. No, more than that. I'm sorry. I have that story in front of me. He killed a lot of people, and he did this as a um, you know as an, a- an attack, yelling "Allahu Akbar." And he was a Muslim. He communicated in great. Um, Degree with people uh, corrupt with um, Islamic um, terrorists and extremists. He shot 13 people, injured 30 more. So President George W. Bush never said a word when President Obama labeled that Islamic attack at Fort Hood workplace violence. Never said a word about that. Obama did not correct that for six years. So W. found no reason to speak up about that never spoke up about the absolute treasonous Iranian deal. The notion that we negotiated with the world's uh, largest terror exporting country, and we essentially gave them access to developing uh, nuclear weapons by a completely ridiculous, unenforceable inspection clause, which does not allow the people to inspect the only places that matter, and sent billions of dollars to them, no... George W. Bush said nothing about that under Obama, said nothing about the fact that President Obama lied to America repeatedly when he said, if you like your doctor, you can keep him. If you like your insurance, you can keep it. Let Obama take over the health care system, socialize medicine, and literally on the path to destroying the health care system, President George W. Bush said not one word. Never said a word about fast and furious actual gun running conducted by our Department of Justice. And under Eric Holder, under President Obama, never said a word about it. Never said a word about no prosecution of the Black Panthers. Never said a word about the Uranium One scandal in which Hillary Clinton facilitated the transfer of 20% of America's uranium assets to the Russians. George W. Bush said not one word. Now, Obama's out and Donald Trump is in, and this book is filled with criticism. It's, it's beyond criticism. It is just uh, a complete attempt, a complete takedown of Donald Trump as being fit for office, being fit for being president, and it's comments by this author, Up to Grove, that he took in interviews, extensive interviews with George W. Bush and George H. W. Bush. Now I will say, the fact of what what I really want to get to trying to get our arms around is the fact of the kind of thinking reflected in George W. Bush's statements and George H. W. Bush's statements in this book. It is that kind of thinking that led to Donald Trump being elected. George Bush, and and these are these are not bad men. These, I mean, I will say, the interim of, of President Obama. President Obama, we had a president for eight years who does not love the idea of America. And we talk on the show all the time about America's idea. Obama did not love the idea of America. He deplored the idea of America. He worked very hard to destroy it, to create a racially divided society, to—I um, I can't get started on Obama. But this is what Obama did. George W. Bush and George H. W. Bush, they do love America. But— When they were both in office, they had that long term in running in the high society, high ruling class, political elite world where they sit in Washington and they think up, you know, statements like, you know, Islam is a religion of peace, which George W. Bush said during his presidency, never corrected that, even though it's obvious to everyone, you know, in America. Now, that's not true, but he never corrected that but it, the what happens in washington with with uh people like president the president's bush they're in Washington. They're with the ruling elite. They're buddies with the Democrat side. They're buddies with the wide range people in the Republican side, and they, they sit around and discuss things in the in the um, you know enclaves of you know dark wood rooms and and fancy uh, you know accoutrements all around them. Fancy uh, life. And they are just. They are extremely. Uh, they're like they're off in their little tower, talking intellectually about. Wouldn't it be nice if we did more immigration, and brought more people from other countries here? And wouldn't it be nice if we were kind of more lax on the border? And wouldn't it be nice if we had more, more refugees coming here? And wouldn't it be nice if we had trade policies that it was as a, as a global, you know, uh, sitting on top of the world in Washington, looking at the world, creating policies that seem to have global uh, attraction, that you get accolades from the UN and the world community. And they sat around and, and created policies, whether they were, um, you know, immigration policies, whether border policies, and Obama and then Obama did all that he did to to make things worse in those arenas. And Donald Trump came along and said, essentially, we have to protect Americans. We're not going to have refugee policies that bring people here who mean us harm. Like this guy who just committed that Horrible attack in the city of New York last week with a truck killing eight people, you know, came here from a, um, you know, with a known Islamic background, came here from uh, Uzbekistan, I think it was, on a diversity visa. I mean, just think of ideas like the diversity visa. That came, by the way, that was signed into law by George H.W. Bush. Donald Trump came along and the people in America who say, you know what, actually, we don't like uh, all of these uh, policies that seem to be so wonderful to the world because we don't have any jobs here in our town. Our jobs have left. We are have all these trade policies. We can bring stuff in from China, cheaply made stuff from other places, and you guys sit back in Washington and say, "Hey, isn't this great? Look at how we can move the players around this international chessboard. We can we can help other countries produce things." But the people in Heartland America said. But all of our jobs have left. We want a president who hears us, who says, we don't want our jobs leaving. We, we understand Americans want to work, want to bring businesses back to America. Donald Trump talked like that and thought like the common man, even though he's wealthier than any other player, as I'm mentioning, he talk to and and could relate to the common man. the same thing with respect to Islamic immigration. You have people living in in communities around this country watching as these Muslim um, enclaves grow. They have them in Minnesota, other places where you have people, uh, a growing Islamic um, population, no attempt to assimilate, no attempt to connect, no attempt to join the American culture. In fact, an attempt to bring Sharia and Islamic customs and practices and traditions here to America. And those people saying, no, I I don't want that, Mr President. president I I want you to defend American culture I want you to protect us from this but all these policies these kind of elitist developed in Washington the common man was saying no to and this is why Donald Trump won we come back from the break I want to tell you more about what this book really helps us all understand about America come right back
5: on August 2nd 2006
2: Debbie Lee was notified that her son Mark Allen Lee had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes' Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to
6: learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. There's a lot of talk today among media and academia in our culture about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield.
2: Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers, and if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit firstliberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans. In the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's firstliberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to firstliberty.org now.
5: Can you hear us
3: now?
5: Okay,
1: welcome back. This is Debbie Addis. You know, I meant to say at the start of the show tonight, and um, especially for our listeners in Texas, I meant to say at the start there was a, a horrific shooting today in a church in Sutherland Springs, Texas uh which i i believe is near san antonio and uh, it appears that there were um just a, a you know crazy person came with um dress and tackle gear and me uh, a you know, bulletproof vests on and, and there's a tiny little country church and I think the building holds 50 people and um, and I think it was something in range of 30 were killed so it's just a, a horrible shooting and I'm sure more will be uncovered about the motives of this um, young man who did this um, and I just all I want to say today about it is I just my heart goes out and our hearts all go out to the families the community you just think especially you're in church on Sunday morning should be the safest spot on earth just should be for everyone Well, anyway, I want to go back to this uh, George Bush book because this is going to uh, get a lot of conversation going. And I think it's uh, important to make a couple other points about this. Uh, One is that revealed in this book um, is that George H.W. Bush, George 41, voted for Hillary. He acknowledges that. George W. just didn't vote at the top of the ticket. So both of them were so appalled by Donald Trump that they couldn't vote for him. And I just want to Comment on what happens to the, uh, you know, kind of the ruling elite class thinking when you've been in Washington long enough. So, and, and you kind of rubbed elbows with the other side, you lose the sense that politics and lawmaking and government is supposed to be rooted in ideas and values and principles. America stood up. Against President Obama, even the first term he he won his presidency the election in two thousand and eight began ruling In uh, two thousand and ten. Republicans took back the house because the people were trying to stop this socialist big government anti american agenda that that Barack Obama was foisting on America, so the American people could see it in 2010, and this this, this whole notion of the, the idea of Barack Obama as a, uh, as a socialist, a, a man happy to take over, to lie to the American people, to take over the health care system, and it is not a, an exaggeration to say lie. He knew when he said, if you like your health care, you can keep it. He knew that was a lie. I mean, it's been shown he knew that. He, he knew by the own research sitting in front of him as the, as the law is being uh, developed, and it was fine with him. He knew that the most people would lose their insurance policies, and they couldn't keep their doctors, and they couldn't keep their insurance. But I sell this to say, the American people saw the big picture. We don't like the trend in this country. We do not like Barack Obama taking over the healthcare system. We do not like the socialist mentality he uses and brings to things. We don't like the way he speaks about America. And so... This is what this fervor has been growing in the American people for reassertion of the right, patriotic, noble, good idea of America, which has nothing at all to do with race. But how George 41 sees the world. Oh, Hillary's a nice person. We have rubbed elbows. We've hung around with them. She'll be fine. Because he's not seeing what the American people saw. The American people are way ahead in their in their discernment about what's happening to our country, than H. W. George George Bush, or, uh, George H. W. or George W. Bush, the American people are far enough ahead to realize we have to get an outsider in. To Washington to help rid our country of this barnacled, you know, just uh, it's almost like intermarried people in Washington, uh, Democrats, Republicans working together, a uniparty, and ignoring the the people, ignoring the will of the people, and so this is why uh, Donald Trump was elected. But to the world view of George H. W. Bush. Hillary was a better choice. I think in part, Donald Trump's, you know, bombasticness, his bluster, his tweeting to the to the more elite ruling class types like the Bushes, this seems crass and this seems tacky and he shouldn't really do that. And that's not how we behave. We all have adult conversations in, in patrician terms and very statesmanlike ways. This is how we talk. And t- and Donald Trump came along and said, no, I'm talking to the people. They want jobs. They want a secure border. They want to live along the southern border and not worry about walking out of their house at night because who knows who's walking across their property. These are things lost on the ruling class and their 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 it's not a cult, but their elite club in Washington passing, you know, pondering the meaning of globalism and nationalism and the beauty of international communities, ignoring the reality on the ground in America. So George H.W. actually voted for Hillary. W. just didn't vote. Again, the idea that you could not see that Hillary Clinton was going to be the socialist Obama on steroids, more power grabbed in Washington, more control over American industries and businesses and families and communities. This is where the country was headed. So to me, the book is a very disappointing window on how George H.W. and George W. were so ensconced in being ruling class people that they would rather vote against their own party and their own voters and the book is even called, I think it's called The Last Republicans or something like that. But they see themselves as the last true, you know, kind of modern uh, Republicans because they they can't really figure out what it is that Donald Trump is. And and so that is the, the title of the book. And actually the author of the book is Mark Updegrove had many, many, many slams to make at um at Donald Trump doesn't like him at all up to grove I can't find it quickly but up to groves um, described Donald Trump as divisive and uh, all the kind of words that liberals use so this is a liberal getting George H W Bush and George W Bush to turn on the current president which really means turning on the American people who chose Donald Trump and and I so I just think it's it's a really sad commentary on how power has been in that family for so long that the idea of a, you know, guy who gets his you know, who who will dust it up, who stands up for America, who has a the feisty attitude that Donald Trump has is so distasteful they would choose a continuation, in fact a an escalation of the Barack Obama, socialist, big government ideas, Hillary Clinton would have brought us. That was better to them than letting someone who doesn't, doesn't meet the standard of their of their, cultural, their, their cultural standards. I, I think it's, it's a sad commentary because I think they're, they're both good men. They're not bad people. They don't hate America like Obama hates America. But this is a sad commentary on them. Okay, I'm going to close with something kind of different. We only have five minutes left. And fast as I talk... And I, and actually I got some emails. Oh, by the way, you can always email me at AmericaKimmyTalk at gmail dot com. But I had people email this week saying you talk really fast on the radio. I'm like, you think I never heard this before? <laughs> I mean, I try not to. I try to slow down and be more deliberate. But you know, I'm excited about my. T- I'm excited to have a radio show. I'm excited about the idea of America. I want all of us to embrace it. Remember what it is. Stand up for it. But this last story, I want to tell you. There has been. So much racial tension in America, uh, it, it truly engendered and created by President Obama intentionally and by the American left, which simply gains political power the more racial tension that there is. But I want to tell you, you remember the um, story that emerged? In fact, it was really the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement was the shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and the fact that the officer, the, the grand jury in Ferguson, Missouri, would not indict the officer in this shooting, this is, and this is often when you talk to people who support Black Lives Matter, well, they always throw well, Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin. Well, I'm going to talk about Michael Brown tonight and want to plant something and urge you to look this up yourself. And it's at our website, americacamitalk.org. How many of you know the name? Sierra Jenkins. C I A R A Jenkins. She's the single pivotal character. In the Ferguson, Missouri story, when people had to go, you know, you this shooting happened, and obviously, you know, all loss of human life is devastating. You, you can never, you, know, you just, it's devastating beyond belief. Whether it's a, you know, a, a young child, a son, a daughter, a a parent, an unborn child, a senior citizen, it's always sad. But in 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 this case, in Ferguson, Missouri, Sierra Jenkins was the last witness to testify to the grand jury. She testified to the grand jury. She's black, she lives in Ferguson, she saw the whole thing between the officer and Michael Brown and the most vital thing to take home and understand is what that grand jury heard from this black woman, this resident of Ferguson, Sierra Jenkins, is that hands up, don't shoot, never happened. You need to have that sink in. We had the entire, what was it, St. Louis Rams running out on the field, hands up, don't shoot. What happened was Michael Brown was char- a 200, I think it was 89-pound, enormous guy who'd already you know robbed a store that day, who'd already punched the same officer in the face earlier in the day and tried to grab his gun. This guy, Michael Brown, is charging the officer and and the officer is saying stop has his gun drawn saying stop 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 where you are stop and michael brown never stopped he did not put his hands up he did not say don't shoot he did not stop he hands up don't shoot never happened and this woman testifying to the grand jury was saying you know i mean she and this her testimony included i don't like the police i do, i am only here cuz i got subpoenaed i never cooperate with the police but since i'm here and under oath i'm going to tell the truth which was they had asked her well what could the officer have done well what what could have changed the outcome and she basically said i don't understand why he just didn't stop she had she's watching his 18 year old Whatever it is, I think it was 289-pound guy charging the officer. She basically said the officer had no choice. And the reason I'm bringing this up tonight is because how often do any of us even dare to say that fact, to share that fact? Well, right now there's a play called Ferguson, just called Ferguson. Tomorrow is the last day it's playing. It's in New York. It's, it's in New York at the 30th Street Theater in Manhattan. And the last day of the show actually tonight, is today. And the uh, playwright, Phila McAleer, all he did in this play was take verbatim, that means word for word, the testimony of every witness at the grand jury and had actors play those characters saying exactly and only what the grand jury heard. And in that grand jury, by the way, it was um, nine white Americans and three black Americans. There were three blacks on that grand jury, and they could not get to the finding of probable cause to charge this officer with a crime because of what they heard from the witnesses. So, folks, we have a long way to go in this country for racial healing, but getting the facts straight is a vital, vital thing. So we're out of time. I'm Debbie Georgias, America Can We Talk. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiadis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to americacanwetalk.org. America Can We Talk, Truth About America.